Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I want to ask you this question. Do you see the Lord at work in your life? Some people say, well, you know, I don't see the Lord doing anything. Well, that's an indictment against yourself. What that says is you're not pursuing holiness. Because if you did pursue holiness, you would see the Lord. You would see that he's at work. You would see his hand in a million different things. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, in a message titled, The Path to Spiritual Healing. Now, here's Pastor Brian. One of Satan's most effective tools in bringing people down, getting them entrenched in unforgiveness and bitterness. Paul tells us that to to not forgive, remember he says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Paul also says that in regard to forgiveness, he says, we need to forgive lest Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And let me tell you, the longer I go in ministry, the more I've seen this this issue of unforgiveness leading to bitterness, leading to personal trouble and defilement of others, the more I've seen that happen as, as time has gone on. There was a time in my life as a young pastor when... I didn't even get what it was to be bitter toward God. When people would tell me, well, I'm angry with God, I would think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Seriously. But you know, there came a point through living life and through going through my own struggles and experiences, there came a point where I began to realize, oh, okay, I, I can see this now. I see how bitterness can set in. You know, sometimes... What happens, and I've seen this happen many times, is you see an injustice take place and you expect it to be dealt with. And because it's not dealt with in the way or the time frame that you expect it to be dealt with, you, you get angry and you become disillusioned and then you, you become bitter. And I've seen this happen over and over again. I think of the story of Absalom in the Bible. Absalom was the son of David, you perhaps remember. And Absalom, although when we think of Absalom, generally we think of the negative aspects of his life where he undermined his father David, then he turned against David and he tried to overthrow him and take the kingdom and all of that, which was all true and it was all wrong, but it was preceded by something. It was preceded by the sin of David. You see, David sinned, and that was obviously a stumbling block to Absalom. But then not only did David sin, when another of David's sons sinned, Amnon, against one of David's daughters, Tamar, by forcing her sexually, essentially raping her, David, who was morally impaired because of his own sin, was never able to deal with Amnon the way that he should have been dealt with. And Absalom saw all of this. 
And you know, as I looked at that story, and as I've observed life in the Christian world, I became a little more understanding of Absalom as time went on. Because at a certain point, Absalom was right. He was right. David was wrong in so many ways, and he did so many things wrong, and he didn't do what needed to be done. And Absalom was right about those things, but here's what happened. He went wrong when he failed to trust God, and he tried to take things into his own hands. You see, he went wrong even though he was initially right. And that is something that we all have to realize You can be right, you can be absolutely right, but you can be so right that you become wrong. And this happens when we refuse to let God deal with certain situations, when we try to take it into our own hands, or when we become angry that it's not being dealt with the way we think it should be, and then we start slandering and gossiping and talking to other people about this injustice that's been done. And I'll tell you when, you, when you listen to a lot of the people that I was referring to earlier out in the culture who are now atheists or agnostics or whatever, you know, they've, they've got a story about some injustice that happened to them at church, about some pastor who did them wrong in some way or another, or some Christian businessman ripped them off, or something happened like that. And their initial complaint is valid. Yes, that was wrong. And yes, it's true that it was never dealt with the way it should have been dealt with. That's all true. But it's not your place to deal with it. You see, this is where faith comes in. This is where we trust God. Years ago, some young guys that I knew in ministry, they were very stumbled by another pastor who was behaving very badly. And they were very idealistic and understandably. They thought, wait, no, pastor shouldn't behave like that. And they were right. But they almost stumbled because the pastor wasn't being dealt with by those who were over him. And they couldn't understand, and they started to then become a little bit bitter. And they started to question, well, you know, where is the justice of God? And in this particular case, it turned out well because they pulled back and recognized, you know, at the end, it's God's problem, not ours, and we're going to trust him. But not everybody does that. Bitterness, unforgiveness, and it can be toward anyone. How often is it a parent, a relative, a friend? Sometimes it's a parent toward a child. But the warning is to beware of it because a root of bitterness will cause trouble, serious trouble, and it will defile many. And so evidently that was an issue there. But then also he refers to fornication, lest there be a fornicator. Now Esau, he uses Esau as an example of a fornicator. Esau took the wives of the the people of the land that were a grief. He married uh, two women. And so it seems that that's the reference there. But the idea here is that there's sexual immorality. So even among these Hebrews, apparently, there's some sexual immorality that is beginning to seep in. Again, because when you disconnect from God in your heart, eventually it's going to show itself in your behavior. And there's no limit to where that can go. 
But then he refers to Esau as a profane person. Now, a profane person is not what we might think when we first hear the term. We think of profane or profanity, vulgar. A profane person, the word means a person who has no regard for spiritual things. It's, it's just that simple. Esau was a person who didn't really care about the things of the spirit. He was more interested in the here and now. He was more interested in what was pleasing and comfortable for him in this life. He didn't really think of the bigger picture. He didn't think of, uh, he didn't think with an eternal perspective. He thought just with the temporal view of things. And so as a result of that, for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. His birthright was his spiritual inheritance. He didn't care about it. When he comes in from being out in the woods and he's tired and he's hungry and he asks his brother Jacob, he says, Make, give, me, give me some of that soup. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give it to you. I'll trade you. You give me your birthright. I'll give you the bowl of lentils. And Esau says, well, what's the, what's the birthright? I don't care about that. Give me the bowl of lentils. I'm starving. And he traded away his spiritual inheritance right there. And then, you know, as, as we follow the story there in Genesis, we see that Esau, after he realized the consequences, then he was regretful of what he did, and he tried to get the decision reversed by his father, Isaac, but there was no reversing. And so that's why it says, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." So there's a moment where Esau realizes that he's given up his blessing, which the point is this. It wasn't that he cared about the blessing as much as he just cared about the personal loss. So if he could have given up the blessing and then had the uh, material abundance as well, it wouldn't have been a problem to him. But the, but the blessing represented the material abundance. And so now he's regretting that he's lost the things that are going to make for a comfortable life. But he traded his spiritual inheritance for momentary comfort. And that's exactly what the author is warning them over and over not to do. Don't trade your eternal inheritance for temporary comfort. That was their big temptation. That's what's happening to them. That is a temptation that we all face today. As we go on in life, and as we face troubles and challenges and difficulties, there's the temptation to just you know, let, let's just settle down. Let's just be comfortable here. Let's not be so spiritual that it costs us something and sends us into a place of alienation or, you know, something that's going to result in our personal discomfort. That's what Esau did. And he says, let none of you be like that putting the material, putting the, the temporal over the spiritual and over the eternal. So these are the things that we're 
warned about. But what is the remedy to this? The remedy is back in verse 14. And so I want to come back to the issue of holiness. And I want to finish up by looking at this because this is, this is the remedy to all of these things. And he says, pursue holiness. And both things are vital. The word pursue is important to understand and holiness is important to understand. So when we talk about holiness, what are we talking about? Well, we're, we're talking about like I said earlier, you can't connect holiness from God. We're talking about the pursuit of God. So the, the remedy, the solution to spiritual lameness that results from a hardened heart, that results from disobedience, the remedy to that is the pursuit of God. As we pursue God, as we seek God, as we give ourselves diligently to following after him. You know, A.W. Tozer wrote a book years ago. It's a very, it's a classic. The book is called The Pursuit of God. And the scripture that became kind of the, the basis for the, the book itself was as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for thee, O God, the living God. So the picture is of a deer that's, you know, running through the forest in search of that brook, in search of that refreshment, and, and panting, you know, just thinking about that moment when that refreshment will come. That's the idea, the pursuit of God. That's what it means to pursue holiness. So holiness is probably one of the most misunderstood ideas in the history of the church. Holiness has been greatly misunderstood many times over. Like I already said, the Pharisees obviously misunderstood what it was. They thought they were holy. And the people around them thought they were holy, but they were anything but holy. So here's the question. What is holiness? And I want to quote to you from J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God. And he used the term gospel holiness. He said it was Puritan shorthand for authentic Christian living, springing from love and gratitude to God. Listen, in contrast with the spurious legal holiness that consisted merely of forms, routines, and outward appearances maintained from self-regarding motives. See, far too often in history, that's what holiness has been interpreted to be. Merely forms, routines, outward appearances maintained from self-regarding motives. Not doing it for God, doing it for myself to give myself some kind of advantage and not doing it sincerely from the heart, but doing it merely in an external fashion. So gospel holiness is not that. Gospel holiness, he goes on to say, is simply a consistent living out of our relationship with God into which the gospel brings us. 
It is just a matter of the child of God being true to type, true to his father, true to his savior, true to his or her true identity as a child of God. So what is holiness? Let me make this clear because last service, I obviously didn't make it clear because somebody said at the end, okay, what was holiness again? So... (laughs) So here it is. Holiness, and he was right. I didn't make it clear last service. Holiness is the outworking of the divine nature that we have received through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ, we become the children of God. And now holiness is just the the outworking of that life of God that's been put in us through the Holy Spirit. So pursue holiness as we pursue God, as we seek him, as we grow more in our relationship with him, that is going to show itself through our lives. And notice what he says. He says, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Pursue holiness, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I think there are three possible ways to understand what he's saying there. And I think all three of them are actually true. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. First of all, and in the context, I think what he's saying is that, you know, without holiness, which is the result of a genuine relationship with God, you're not going to see him in the end. You're, in other words, he's telling them you're, you're coming short of, of the grace of God. You're, you're coming short of that salvation. If there's no pursuit of holiness in your life, then it's evident that there's no real relationship with God. And of course, if there's no real relationship with God, you'll never see the Lord in the end because only, you know, the pure in heart will see God. And we know that the pure in heart are not pure in heart because their hearts are more pure than somebody else's. Naturally, the pure in heart, their hearts are made pure by the grace of God. So that's the first application. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord To put it in the simplest terms, no one will make it to heaven, to God's presence. But there's another sense also that I think there is application here. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord in the sense of witness. How do people see God in the world today? How's anybody going to see God? How's anybody going to become aware of the fact that there really is a God? You know, one of the major ways is through our lives. That's one of the primary ways people come to know the Lord. They see God in the life of somebody else, and it's attractive to them. It says something to them. It speaks to them. There's something different that they recognize. But you see, without holiness, there's nothing different to recognize, Without holiness, without that life of God really manifesting itself through us, then we look just like everybody else. Now, in one sense, we do look like everybody else, and we should look like everybody else. You know, oftentimes when I travel, especially in Europe, I see, you know, those clergymen who are going about with their their collars and all of that. And I, I look at that and I think, you know, it was a sad day when we had to have some external means of identifying Uh, our spirituality. You see, because God intends that that identity come through our life. Not because I've got a a particular uniform on. Not because I have a a certain collar. 
but because I have the love of Jesus being manifested through my life. I have his compassion and his mercy and his grace, and I'm living according to those things that please God. And when we do that as God's people, which we will do as we pursue the Lord, as we pursue holiness, then guess what? Others will see the Lord. If we don't do it, they won't see the Lord. We won't be any indicator to them whatsoever that there there actually is a God. You know, sometimes, sadly, people look at Christians and think, man, if there is a God, I don't want to know him because this person is really annoying. It's true. And, and so we have to make sure that we're not being like that. But, but we will if we pursue holiness in the sense that we're talking about here. If we're pursuing the Lord truly, if we're seeking him diligently, then that's going to work itself out in our witness. But here's the third and the final way. We will see the Lord at work in and through our lives. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you see the Lord at work in your life? Some people say, well, you know, I don't see the Lord doing anything. Well, that's an indictment against yourself. What that says is you're not pursuing holiness. Because if you did pursue holiness, you would see the Lord. You would see that he's at work. You would see his hand in a million different things. You know, that's the way we as Christians ought to be viewing the world. We ought to be the ones who are seeing the work of God. We're seeing the hand of God, even in the things that happen in our world today, the crazy things to see behind a lot of the stuff, you know, God is still at work. And if you're pursuing God, if you're seeking him, guess what? You're going to see the Lord that he is at work. He's at work in you and he's at work through you and he's at work in a million other situations. And so in closing, let me just reemphasize one final time this word pursue. That's what it's all about. It's about pursuing the Lord. It's about seeking him. It's about not being distracted, laying aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. We've already looked at those things, but that's what we're talking about. You know, to pursue something is to chase after it, to run after it, to, as some of my friends who, you know, like to grapple and fight and wrestle and all of that, they say, you know, we're going to get after it. And, and that's the idea. We're going to get after it. As God's people, we need to be getting after, not it, maybe getting after him pursuing him, you can begin fresh today, your pursuit of God, that pursuit of holiness, as it's stated here. And when you do that, you will see the Lord, others will see the Lord in you, and you will see the Lord for sure. You'll have the confidence, the assurance, the guarantee that yes, one day I will see the Lord because my relationship with him is real. It's not mere outward form. It's real, it's vital, it's life-giving, and that gives me rest as I think about the future.
Church, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. In our current climate of social injustice and sexual ethics, many today do not believe that Jesus has any relevance for today's culture. But what exactly does Jesus say about social injustice and sexual ethics? And in a world filled with moral atrocities, have you ever wondered what it means when people say that God is love? What does Jesus' love actually look like in everyday life in the 21st century? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions or know someone who wants to know who Jesus is, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.